0: It's a blessing to always see everybody, to be together, to be able to be in the Lord's house. We get to do this. We get to worship. We get to come together. We get to pray. And most importantly, we get to delve into the Word. And that's a gift. And it's an important gift that we never, ever, ever take for granted. It's a gift we have to hold fast to. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you that we are able to study your Word, Lord. We... Never take it for granted that you preserved this guide for us, Lord, this roadmap that we can cling to. We thank you for it, Lord. And Father, we also just lift up Pastor and Michelle for traveling mercies coming back, bring them back home safely and just a continued, blessed, sweet time of fellowship with their family, Lord. And Father, I also just pray for the distractions that can try to come in when we're trying to focus on you, and I just pray that you would guard everybody's heart, mind, and soul, that they would not be distracted, that they would solely focus on you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, and we're going to be specifically in Psalm 32 with a message I've entitled, Freedom. Now, before we delve into this, remember, I like setting things up and giving a little bit of context before we just go right to Psalm 32. So we're going to do that first, looking in the book of Psalms. And one other thing I'm going to say about distractions, if you're using a cellular device or something for your Bible, turn off notifications, please, so that you just focus on the word. So turn off notifications, take a moment, do it, so you just focus on the word. So... Before we delve into the study, let's first remember about the book of Psalms, written about the 10th century BC, or a little later, and it's a beautiful hymn book for the children of Israel and for the early church. And this is a book of poetry, and a book that is to, remember when we studied Psalm 1, remind us of so many beautiful attributes of God. And the poetry that we see here, it's Hebrew poetry, so we're going to see the thoughts being set to repetition, to contrast, to restatement, and parallels. And they all tie and speak to the human experience. And within it, we're reminded that no matter what the circumstance, no matter what we're going to, no matter what we're handling, God can understand it. God can recognize it. And when we go through Psalms, they actually help us understand how to live 1 Thessalonians 5.16, which says rejoice always. Because we're able to see that context within each one that we go through. Now, for the authorship of Psalms, we have to remember there's many of them. There's 150. 73 of them are attributed to David. And then others are attributed to some as Moses, Solomon, the sons of Korah, Asaph, Hermon, Ethra, uh, Ethan, Hezekiah. 39 of them, no author. We don't have a set author for who it is. And the beautiful thing with these Psalms, at least 16 of them specifically point to Jesus Messiah. And when we look at these Messianic Psalms, what's so beautiful with them, they point to what he would do, how he did it, and how he felt while doing it. So it's, again, a reminder, we've got to study the whole word, not just the New Testament, because when we study these, we get a deeper understanding of who our king is. And it enables us, as we then read biblical prophecy to come, to to read discerning, show me the attributes of who you are, Messiah King, as we wait for the blessed hope of what's to come for us. Now, these 150 Psalms are divided into five sections, 1 to 41 42 to 72, 73 to 89, 90 to 106, 107 to 150. Why does that matter? If you go through them and look at it, a lot of theologians and scholars will point to the beautiful fact that that division coincides with the Pentateuch. So when you go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you're going to see links and ties to that. The purpose of these psalms? To offer praise to God. And this is a unique praise because when we go through Psalms, you're going to see capital L-O-R-D throughout them. It appears at least twice in every Psalm. It's the personal name of Jesus, of God, Yahweh. It's the personal name. So that gives us something really important about how we praise the Lord. We praise God from a personal relationship. We praise God from a heart that is personally surrendered, yielded abiding in Him. And that's one of the things I always look forward with worship with our team because we see ourselves as a vessel to bring you into the throne of worship. And what I love is how much the body sings. Because for me, it's like we get a little glimpse of what it will be like in eternity when we're all singing to the Lord. It's one of the best things. It's like, whoo, you guys are singing, we're singing, let's go. And that's what we get to do. We get to make it personal worship. And it reminds us, too, about the lyrics of worship songs when we go through psalms. And and there's so many, I encourage you, look at the old hymns. There's so many that are just scripture itself. And it is beautiful. And I'm not knocking the modern worship songs, but some of them are so repetitive or so me, me, me love song. And you listen to it and you're like, is this a teen girl on her crush or is this about Jesus? I'm not quite sure. (laughs) Where are we going with this? So I encourage us to take the time to sing the old hymns. And I encourage you, when you're listening to K-Love, listen to the lyrics and really challenge yourself to say, what are the songs that I'm singing? What am I actually lifting up in praise? Now, before we read our focus text today, I want to have you ponder a few questions. First, what is freedom? Second, what does freedom mean to you? And the most important questions, which we're going to hear throughout today, are you truly free today? And are you walking in that freedom? Now, many, when we hear freedom, we think about our country. We think about maybe Christian persecution and how Christians aren't free because of the persecution of them. And sadly, there's even persecution within the church. But that's not where our focus needs to be today. For this morning, put aside your love for America. I love America too. Trust me, if you uh, love America, love it. But we got to put that aside today. And our citizenship first and foremost is with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's actually put that aside and just focus on Jesus. And let's ask yourself in your heart, mind, and soul, am I truly free today? Stand with me as we read Psalm 32. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule with have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and brittle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill me. Help me get out of the way that the words that come out of my mouth are yours for your people in this room, Lord God. Please, Father God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, we, we sang to welcome you here, that you would give us wisdom. You would give us discernment, Lord. Please just bless these people with your word and let it do what it needs to do. That I'm out of the way. That it's about you and what you need for us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 32, when we look at the title, you'll see a psalm of David, a contemplation. Now the word contemplation that we see there in Hebrew is maskil. This means a psalm of instruction, a contemplated or didactic moral poem. Why does that matter? David in this is reflecting in this psalm on forgiveness. And David had much that he was forgiven for and much to give God thanksgiving for forgiving. Now, Psalm 32 doesn't make it exactly clear because in some of the other psalms, you'll see exactly where, what took place, what happened in David's life right before that. But biblical context leads many, and me personally, to believe that this is tied to his sin with Bathsheba that led to the murder of Uriah. So in 1 Samuel 13:14, we learn about David That he's a man after his own heart. Who is that his? It's God. And he's after his heart. Yet, there's a real sin journey that David goes through. And still, still, lust, adultery, murder. He experiences the gifts of God's grace and mercy shown in forgiveness. Before we go any further, level set yourself with that. Unless you ultimately choose to reject Jesus, to reject the forgiveness that he gives, to reject his existence, to reject all about him, there's no other sin that he will not forgive. Realize that. That idea, you're a lost cause, you have no hope, don't bother. Those are lies from the pit of hell. And you can't listen to them. You need to realize and see All can be forgiven. If we confess, we can be forgiven. So we're going to turn first, again, to set the stage up to this, to 2 Samuel 11. Because rather than just talk about David's sin, let's actually look at it. Let's actually go through what takes place. Chapter 11, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Reba, but David remained at Jerusalem. So they're all going, but he's not going, in the, he's not going in the battle in this time. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. Lust. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. So he's not in the fight. When we're not in the fight, we've got to fill that with something. So lust comes in. That lust could have been cut off then, but he decides, let's go a little bit further. And then he fulfills that lust. Verse 5. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. So at this point, there's options. Maybe could have said, okay, this isn't good. Got to get right with God. What do I do? But no, let's see what happens. Verse 6. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. Let's make small talk. Come on, let's be buds. Because I got to cover up what I did. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. Let me pamper you a little bit. Relax, enjoy your home. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. The cover up plan isn't working. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in the tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So we see something here. There's a bit of a lesson in priorities, in obedience, in doing what's supposed to be done. He's like, no, i got to be with these guys. This isn't the time. They're not doing that. I'm not going to do that. Opposite of what we see in David. Verse 12. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. He's really trying here. i got to cover this up. i got to do it at all costs. Let's get you intoxicated. At evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord, But he did not go down to his house. Plan foiled. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Do we see what's going on here? It's a slope with the sin. Because he's stuck. I'm not going to own what I've done. i got to cover this up at all costs. So now we're moving to murder. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. And if we go down, skip to verse 27. So... Bathsheba finds out, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Personal relationship, Lord. So when we look at this, there's a flow to the sin. It crept in, and he just keeps going. Saints, all of us are susceptible to sin. And we always need to be on guard. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What do you do? Resist him. Steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. We know by their brothers they did but look, we get the full counsel. Look at David. But... May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's his grace and mercy, folks. That's his grace and mercy. And because of that, we can say, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we have to look at ourselves as we're looking before we get to, we're going to get to Psalm 32, I promise. But when we look at David's journey down into sin, it starts with getting out of the battle. I'm going to tell you a little reminder. All of us are an army in battle for the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we start to get out of battle, it looks like, I don't need to go to church today. I'm too tired. I'll watch online. Now, I'm not knocking watching online. But I'm going to say something. We're called to be in his house together. And are you watching online because you really have no means of getting here? Or are you watching online because it's more comfortable? And you've given yourself excuses to miss being in the house of the Lord with his people in prayer, in communion, so that you don't stop running the race of the battle. Because we skip church, then there's a void that's got to be filled. And David had a void that needed to be filled. He wasn't active in the battle. So then the eye can start to wander around. What am I going to do? And lust came in. Seems kind of cool. I'll just go for it. And then he's in. Remember when we looked at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It's a slope. You walk, you stand, you sit. And if I sat all the way, you don't even see me anymore because I'm lost in the sin. And that's what happens here. And that's where we need to be on guard. We need to be vigilant. We need to be aware. So what happens to David? Now we go to chapter 12. Then the Lord sent to Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Mind you, as he's saying this, he's been in his sin. He's been living and trying to cover it up. On the outside, he looks real righteous right now. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man thus says the Lord God of Israel I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah and that had been too little I would also have given you much more Look at those words I gave you all Christ gave us all but it was too little why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people Amon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you despise me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who also was born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. We can't hide our sins. We can't hide it. You can think you're getting away with it. You can think no one's going to know what you're doing, but you can't hide it. It will come out. So you got to quickly come to repentance. David lives this way for about a year, thinking he's getting away with it. He lived thinking the sin was done. But there's a lesson here. God uses whatever and whomever to place us where he reminds us, I know what you have done. I know what you're doing. And then we have a choice to make. And we've got to realize it's tied to our nature. It's tied to where we start. Genesis 3. Let's recall how the great fall happens. Let's recall how sin comes in first. Where we see the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life all coming in. They eat. The man that's there does nothing to stop. Men, we got to lead. Does nothing to stop. And then we read verse 7 in Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. Because they knew this is sin. we got to cover it. That's the nature that starts. Sin happens. i got to cover it. I can't let anybody know I did it. But there's a way, and we know this way, and we're going to look at that, that we should be going with that. And then in that, we read verse 8 to 13. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? He knew. He always gives a chance because he needs us to confess Then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. That's the nature. That's the background of what we're talking about when we look at sin. We try to cover it up. We avoid taking the accountability of it. And we blame game. And we justify it. That's because so-and-so did it. Or that's because so-and-so did it. Our culture today, it's because I'm a victim. And that's why. It's everybody else's fault but mine. That's the legacy we fall into. And through David, he tries to hide it. And guess what? We do the same thing. This very morning, there could be some of you sitting here that you have stuff going on, unconfessed sin, in your heart, and you're thinking, I can hide it from God. Sin can't be hidden. Sin has consequences. We see the consequences with the death of that child for King David. While you think you can hide, God is seeking Confession. So back to the question, are you truly free this morning? Now, what does David do? He then finally comes to a place of repentance. And we're almost in Psalm 32. I know I'm taking us a long route to get there. Turn to Psalm 51. Because at this moment, what David now does is he comes to a true moment of repentance. David realizes. What anybody in this room who's not saved realizes that we need to also, who are saved, remember each day, I'm a sinner, I'm depraved, the wages of sin is death, and it's simple. I deserve death because of that, but I need a Savior. And this could be a great moment that I could have a prayer and say, does anybody not know the Lord? Repeat after me and do that. But that's not what I want to do. I want you to look at what a true prayer of repentance looks like. And if the Lord Holy Spirit nudges you and convicts you, go back to this later. Or come talk to me after this. But look at this. We're just going to take it all in. Psalm 51. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteousness. With burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. That's a prayer of repentance. That's a prayer that's vulnerable. Genuine. Raw. That says I know who I am. I know who I am without you. I need you. Clean me. Renew me, restore me. David's experiences of God's forgiveness is what we then now can look at in Psalm 32. Yeah, we could have probably just jumped right into Psalm 32 and broke it down, but let's look at it in the true context of this journey that one man goes through with sin and his sin being exposed, and the Lord saying, I know what you've done, and how he comes to true repentance. And we could look at verse 13 of 51. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Psalm 32 is a fulfillment of that. He says that in that repentance, and Psalm 32 is the fulfillment of it. So now, are we ready for Psalm 32? Let's dig in. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, And in whose spirit there is no deceit. So this psalm is just like when we looked at Psalm 1 a few months back. And in that we see the blessed man comes from a place of righteousness. And in this psalm we see the blessed man comes from a place of forgiveness. Following the chastening from God unto confession. What we see, transgression forgiven. Sins covered. Iniquity, not imputed. In this, we get three areas of sin and three ways that God handles the sin. Transgressions are actions that are actively in rebellion to God. Intentional sin. I know it's wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. It's Paul's. The things I don't want to do, I do. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it. Sin's missing the mark. God has a bullseye for how we to live and we miss the mark, often ignorantly, and we land on another mark. And iniquity is the crookedness, the distortions that all bring guilt. And how does David see those handled? The transgressions are forgiven. They're lifted. The sins are covered. The same way in Genesis 3.21 with Adam and Eve. Also for Adam and the wife. The Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. It's that covering. The sacrifice of flesh for sin, the seeking of atonement for the sin. And for us, he then covers us through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ that lasts for eternity. No other sacrifice is needed. Hebrews 10, 11 to 14 remind us, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from the time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Can we say thank you, Jesus, for the blood of Christ? Thank you. And the iniquity, the guilty verdicts are not imputed. What does that mean? There's no record being kept. There's no log being kept of, okay, let me, every single thing that you did. That is freedom. That's the freedom that we all need. That's the freedom that we have to say, are you truly free today? Are you walking in that freedom? This psalm is one of the seven penitential psalms. It's 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. That are all psalms of confession that give us a picture of how to confess because when we confess, the door is open to the throne of God. And in that moment, we're made new. We're made clean. The second half of verse two, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The slate's wiped clean. It's new. But are you walking with something hidden? Because if you are, that's where you need to lay it at the foot of the cross or if you've never ever come to a place of fully surrendering to Jesus Christ you've got to lay it. You've got to lay it down and we as the body of Christ have to be disciplined to quickly repent. Why? When we walk with unconfessed sin it puts a distance between us and God. In Psalm sixty-six eighteen, 18 we read if I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear. It puts a distance. We think we're getting away with it, but it actually draws us farther and farther away, and it takes a toll. Read verse 3. When I kept silent, when he kept silent, saying nothing, thinking he's getting away with it, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Now remember, he's reflecting on his forgiveness of lust, adultery, murder. Those are big ones. And that's what he's reflecting on. God knows all, and God wants us to be able to do the work he wants us to do. David's speaking and reflecting here in his personal experience. This is what the journey, as we coined backsliding, would be. This is the journey of going and thinking, I'm getting away, but I'm not. When he kept silent, when he didn't commune with God, when he said, I got this. His bones grew old through groaning all the day long. Saints' unconfessed sin takes a spiritual, mental, and emotional toll on the body. I feel depressed, I feel anxious, I feel sick, I feel tired, I feel achy. Food, I'm going to have some more food, it's my comfort, I'll have a drink, it's okay. I'm just going to drink a little more, let me take some drugs. No one needs to know I'm clicking on this, I'll just finish really quick before they get home. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Sin has a weight on the body. It lures us and then we're in bondage to sin. And we're slaves to sin until we're free in Christ and slaves unto him. Romans 6.16 Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. The double life takes a toll. The never-seeking confession takes a toll. Do you spend more time complaining or more time confessing? Are you truly free? Do you walk in that freedom do you live in that freedom my vitality was turned into the drought of summer think about that there's nothing left it's hot it's humid think about the hottest day you could ever experience no water no food no nothing just hot just hot how do you feel hopeless how did david feel living in that within inside hopeless the outside can look great but the inside's destroyed what about you We see each other week after week, and it's easy to put an outside that looks great. It's easy to put an outside that's wonderful. But what's going on inside? What's going on in your life that you need to, today, lay at the cross? Where are you missing the mark and not even realizing that you're missing the mark? We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to get there. But we do need to continually seek to be better and better. Too often, we just run. Let me vent to this person. Let me take this pill. Let me do whatever. But we don't run to the king. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's what we need to do. Luke 9.23 calls us to deny ourselves what? How often? Say it. How often? Daily. We've got to deny ourselves daily. We can never be in a place that we say, I got this. Ever. Because we don't. We got nothing. And then when we remember the hope we have, we got something. We can't lose our salvation. Remember that. But boy, oh boy, can you get stuck on a slide of deception that keeps you from God's will in your life. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. That's an important word. It means hang, measure, weigh in. Musically, it means lift up. It's where the musicians are instructed, stop playing. And silence. In the Amplified Bible, it says, pause, And calmly think about that. So pause and think about how David described what it was like with unconfessed sin. Pause and think, what is going on within me that spiritually must be confessed unto the Lord that I can be renewed and have a steadfast spirit in Him? This is why Psalm 1 tells us to meditate on the word day and night. For the word of God, as we know in Hebrews, is, a, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divisions of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you see the Selah, pause. I own my guilt. I would read through Psalm see si, Selah. I'm like, oh, that word, I don't know that. Let me just keep going. It was my journey for so long. And then when you finally realize it, pause. Reflect. Lord, what do you want me to get from that? Remember, everything that we're going on in our lives, there's a spiritual root. There's a spiritual root of the problems we have, of the things, and I charge you, take the pill of his word and take the counsel of his word. Spiritual healing's gotta be the priority. When prayer, this past week we were talking about, it's great that we're praying for all these things and the health ailments, but we gotta pray for salvation first. That's what matters most The eternal state of the people we're praying for. How did David deal with the weight of his sin? Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. He acknowledges the sin. He doesn't hide it anymore. No more double life. He says I will confess my transgressions to the capital L-O-R-D personal name Yahweh. And guess what? immediately forgiven cela think about that the act of confession is not rewarded with forgiveness the act of confession receives the given free gift of grace and mercy through the blood of jesus christ many know it 1 john 1:9 1, if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness it's a gift It is a gift that we get and a gift that we are then restored. Conviction prayerfully turns to confession that spiritually bears restoration that empowers us to run further the journey of sanctification unto glorification at the blessed hope to come. Conviction prayerfully turns to confession that spiritually bears restoration that empowers us to run further the journey of sanctification unto glorification at the blessed hope of what's to come. We want revival. We want to see people coming to know Jesus, right? We want that. We can't set it up with an emotional target where we get the lights here. You know, Paul's a master with tech. We say, let's get some blue lights, a big fog machine, and let's get a hazer. Let's get some music going. Let's make it really emotional. That's not how we get revival, folks. We need the word rightly divided. We need people allowing the word to do what it does, expose the sin, conviction comes, confession comes, restoration comes. Let the double-edged sword discern the thoughts and reveal the intents of the heart. Let's stop praying for revival. Let's pray for conviction of ourselves, conviction of everybody who walks through these doors unto confession and restoration of the king. Because it's only done in Christ alone. That's it. David reflects on being forgiven of lust, adultery, murder. What about you? That's a real question. What do you reflect of being forgiven for? What have you done with your forgiven story life? That's a question we got to think. What have you done with your forgiven story life? Our sins cast away. Micah 7:19, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Now we are forgiven saints, and that's beautiful. And we don't have to go beating ourselves, it's not imputed, but testimonies must prevail. For through the testimonies of a saint, a bridge is built to the word of God and his throne. So we've got to take our stories of forgiveness and turn them into testimonies for his glory. That's what David's doing. We saw Psalm fifty-one, thirteen. that's what he's doing right here. This is in action, teaching transgressors. Verse 6, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. For this cause, aka, therefore, he's saying, because my transgression's forgiven, because my sin's covered, because there's no imputing my iniquity, because you restore me, I shall pray to you. I shall share you. I shall be with you. Youth group, that's a hit on Matthew 28, which we were in the last two days. That's what that's about. He prays for deeper communion. We need to commune deeper. Freely confess, freely receive, freely abide, freely live, freely share his goodness. And in that, there's freedom to walk in the protection and the guidance of God. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. Why? Because he's anchored on the rock. Think of Matthew 7 where the Lord talks about building the house on the rock or building the house on the sand. Which one withstands? The house on the rock. The house on the rock of salvation. The house anchored on John 14, 6. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. And we got to understand and remember there is no your truth There is no live your own truth. There is no live your best life now. There is no you do you. There's one way, Yahweh. And the only path is confessing unto him. There's no 12-step program. There's no pamphlet I can give you that guides you to hop on one foot, spin around in a circle and say, No, there's one way, Jesus. Be not deceived and don't walk anymore in the burden of your sin. Don't walk anymore in the burden of your sin. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Remember that rock that we talked about Matthew 7? That rock of Jesus? That's the hiding place. Are you truly free? Are you walking in that freedom? When the troubles come, what's your hiding place? Think about it. If you're running in the woods and somebody's coming after you, you're going to hide somewhere, right? You're going to try to find a corner. Where am I going to hide? Our hiding place is Jesus. Is your hiding place social media? Is your hiding place calling a friend and whining about whatever's going on for a really long time and then you feel a little bit better, so you go do something else, but you haven't really figured anything out? Or do you go to the hiding place of our king? That's the hiding place we get. And then he preserves from trouble. We're not going to not have trouble. I always talk about James 1. We know we're going to fall into trials. But when we're letting ourselves be in the hiding place, we're preserved because he knows what needs to be refined in us. So he's going to let the fire go, but it's going to be what we need and what we can endure. And that's why songs of deliverance surround us. The end of this. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Worship is a weapon. When the storms come, sing a worship song. Sing praise out unto the Lord. Raise your hand if you know Amazing Grace. I won't make us all sing it. Great. Everybody's got one song in their arsenal that you can sing. When the battle comes, sing Amazing Grace. Truly, use what He gives us. Verse 8 I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, I will guide you with my eye. God's voice is present. This is the best part of forgiveness. When we think, we're, we think we can restore ourselves, we can't. We're restored. He protects. And then he guides us with his eye. And it's that eye look that, you know, two and a half year old now, that look where most times I can give it to Baldrick and he knows this isn't a good idea. I shouldn't do this. <laughs> it's that look. And that's what we get from the Lord because he's our heavenly Father. He wants us to abide with him. John 15, he tells us, abide in my word, abide in me. That's what he wants. And that's why Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is our guide, the living word. And we have to use it. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. To avoid going on the slide, use the offensive weapon in spiritual battle. And the Holy Spirit who dwells within us is a what? Helper, comforter, teacher. Helps, comforts, and teaches us the word. God told me. God gave me a word. Before you say those things, is it actually in the word? Is it actually anchored in the word? Because I want to clear that. Because we can say that and then now you can go and say, God gave me this. Is it in here? Is it in line with this? Because if it's not, don't say that, please. That's disgraceful to our King be anchored in the word. And remember, it's only about him. And it's him guiding us. It's his word at the center. And in that, he tells us, because that I, this is the word. That's the eye that guides us. And then he gives us guidance in verse 9 on how we need to be. Do not be like the horse or mule, or like the mule, sorry, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and brittle, else they will not come near you. What does he say? Be like the 12 when I called them. Follow me. And they just go. We don't need to be poked, prod, hit with the bitter brittle. God says go, we go. If your eyes focused on him, we go. When Peter saw the storm and they're going and he goes to walk towards Jesus, eyes were on him, they were locked in eyes, he's good. Then he looks at the circumstance, what does he do? Falls in, drowns. It's about keeping the eyes set on him. Because he says, I will guide you with my eye. Are you truly free? Are you walking in that freedom? And you could be saying, I don't want to go there. Don't get into my personal life. This is making me feel uncomfortable. You keep saying, are you free? Don't worry about what I'm doing. We have to worry. Because we don't know when the rapture's hitting, folks. And we need to make sure we're right with our king. And to those of you who are here who may not know him, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Look at that promise. Look at that gift. What are you waiting for? If there's unconfessed sin, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, there's a free gift that awaits. But if you just continue on what you're doing and don't have a consistent confessional life, there's consequences to that. There's a toll. We see what it does to his body. His bones grow old from all of the groaning. But if you get in that depth of relationship, verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. When we ponder who we were and who we are in Christ, can we not be glad, rejoice, and shout for joy? When you ponder what happens, that forgiveness in an instance, that cleansing in an instant, can you not be glad, rejoice, and shout for joy? Transgression is rebellion. Sin is missing the mark ignorantly. Saints, we can't be a body of believers sitting with our idle hands for the rapture. That's missing the mark. We can't be a body of believers that looks at the news and looks at everything going on and judges the world for how bar- bad they are and how much better we are. That misses the mark. We can't be a body of believers that judge every other denomination and every other church because we're so much better. That misses the mark. We can't be a body of believers who woe and lament on how sad our world is right now, not knocking it and do nothing about it. That's missing the mark. And if you're doing any of those, it's a time to confess. It's a time to renew and have a steadfast spirit in Him that you can be glad, that you can rejoice, that you can shout for joy because when those three things are going, you evangelize. You share your faith. You share the testimony of what He's done because our commission is to go out and make disciples. Disciples don't happen like that. It's teaching the Word. It's sharing the Word. It's praying together. It's living Acts 2.42 where they're studying the doctrine, there's fellowship, there's communion, and there's prayer. Calvary Chapel at Chapel Hill, we need to be the feet, the hands, the salt, the light in your home, in this community, in this plaza, more. We need to. Wednesday, folks gather to watch the movie that gives history of the movement that this church is a part of. And if you're not free how can you tell others to be free? If you're not walking in it, how can you do that? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and brittle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Are you truly free? Are you walking in that freedom? In a moment, I'm going to close us in prayer. And we're going to do what we usually do. We'll finish. We'll go out there. People will talk. Have a good time. You may go do whatever you've got to do today. You might spend time in prayer with each other. You might get to the list of things that's nagging you that you have to get done. That's fine. But I want to offer something different. If the Holy Spirit nudged you, convicted you, don't just get up and leave. Sit and pray. Go to the throne of the Lord, seek his counsel, seek his guidance, seek his renewal. Sit and read Psalm 51 and turn it into your own prayer. Read Psalm 32, turn it into your own prayer. Go to his holy hill and lay it at the cross. There's prayer counselors that you can come to. I'm going to linger here for a little bit. I'll be up here. Go to prayer. Or If it's not about going there, go to the prayer room. We have a prayer room we can go to. Go sit in your car. Don't just start the car and drive off. Spend some time in prayer. And look at what with David, he confessed and immediately forgiven. Don't just let the word be something you hear and then don't turn it into action for his glory. What are you hiding? Lay it at the cross. Do you know Jesus as your savior? If you don't, come to the foot of the cross. Spurgeon on this psalm said The lesson from the whole is this Be honest Sinner, may God make you honest Do not deceive yourself Make a clean breast of it before God Have an honest religion Or have none at all Have a religion of the heart Or else have none Put aside the mere vestment and garment of piety And let your soul be right within Be honest He's waiting The question is, will you come? Will you respond? Will you obey? Will you follow? Will you embrace the true freedom, that gift? And will you live and walk in that freedom unashamedly living for Christ alone? It's a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. Don't wait. And really let Him search your heart, saints. Figure out where am I missing the mark? Where am I hiding stuff that needs to be put before you that I can be renewed and have that steadfast spirit? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for your son poured out for us that we can be forgiven. Thank you for your word that searches our thoughts, searches the intents of our heart, Lord, to be who you need us to be. Heavenly Father, I just pray for every person in this room and such a loving group of people that you would continually help us to let you do heart surgery, that we would be more and more who you need us to be for your glory, for such a time as this, to serve you, to worship you, to run the race and lay aside the sin that easily ensnares us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Be with these precious people. Be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen.